Section 17 of Lives of the Most Eminent Painters, Sculptors, and Architects, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lives of the Most Eminent Painters, Sculptors, and Architects, Volume 6 by Giorgio Vasari. Translated by Gaston de C. de Vere. Section 17. Perino del Vaga. Life of Perino del Vaga. Painter of Florence. Part 1. A truly great gift is art, who, paying no regard to abundance of riches, to high estate, or to nobility of blood, embraces, protects, and uplifts from the ground a child of poverty much more often than one wrapped in the ease of wealth. And this heaven does in order to show how much power the influences of its stars and constellations have over us, distributing more of its favors to one and to another less. Which influences are, for the most part, the reason that we mortals come to be born with dispositions more or less fiery or sluggish, weak or strong, fierce or gentle, fortunate or unfortunate, and richer or poorer in talent. And whoever has any doubt of this will be enlightened in this present life of Perino da Vaga, a painter of great excellence and genius. This Perino, the son of a poor father, having been left an orphan as a little child and abandoned by his relatives, was guided and governed by art, whom he always acknowledged as his true mother and honored without ceasing. And the studies of the art of painting were pursued by him with such zeal and diligence that he was enabled in due time to execute those noble and famous decorations which have brought so much glory to Genoa and to Prince Doria. Wherefore, we may believe without a doubt that it is heaven that raises men from those infinite depths in which they were born to that summit of greatness to which they ascend, when they prove by laboring valiantly at their works that they are true followers of the sciences that they have chosen to learn. Even as Perino chose and pursued as his vocation the art of design, in which he proved himself full of grace and most excellent, or rather absolutely perfect. And he not only equaled the ancients in stucco work, but also equaled the best modern craftsmen in the whole field of painting, displaying all the excellence that could possibly be desired in a human intellect that seeks, in solving the difficulties of that art, to achieve beauty, grace, charm, and delicacy with coloring, and with every other kind of ornament. But let us speak more particularly of his origin. There lived in the city of Florence one Giovanni Bonacorsi, who entered the service of Charles VIII, King of France, and fought in his wars, and, being a spirited and open-handed young man, spent all that he possessed in that service and in gaming, and finally lost his life therein. To him was born a son, who received the name of Piero. And this son, after being left as an infant of two months old without his mother, who died of plague, was reared in the greatest misery at a farm, being suckled by a goat until his father, having gone to Bologna, took as his second wife a woman whose husband and children had died of plague. And she, with her plague-infected milk, finished nursing Piero, who was now called Pierino, a pet name such as it is a general custom to give to little children, and retained that name ever afterwards. He was then taken to Florence by his father, who, on returning to France, left him with some relatives, and they, either because they had not the means or because they would not accept the burdensome charge of maintaining him, and having him taught some ingenious vocation, placed him with the apothecary of the Pinadoro to the end that he might learn that calling. But, not liking that profession, he was taken as shopboy by the painter Andrea de Cherry, who was pleased with the air and the ways of Perino, 
and thought that he saw in him a certain lively spirit of intelligence from which it might be hoped that in time some good fruits would issue from him. Andrea was no great painter, quite commonplace indeed, and one of those who stand openly and publicly in their workshops, executing any kind of work, however mean. And he was wont to paint every year for the festival of San John, certain wax tapers which were carried as offerings, as they still are, together with the other tributes of the city, for which reason he was called Andrea de Cherry, and from that name Perino was afterwards called for some time Perino de Cherry. Andrea, then, took care of Perino for some years, teaching him the rudiments of art as well as he could, but when the boy had reached the age of eleven he was forced to seek for him some master better than himself, and so, having a straight friendship with Rodolfo, the son of Domenico Gerlandaio, who, as will be related, was held to be able and well-practiced in painting. Andrea de Cero placed Perino with him, to the end that he might give his attention to design, and strive with all the zeal and love at his command to make in that art the proficience of which his great genius gave promise. Whereupon, pursuing his studies among the many young men whom Rodolfo had in his workshop, all engaged in learning art, in a short time Perino came to surpass all the rest, so great were his ardor and his eagerness. Among them was one named Toto del Nunziata, who was to him as a spur to urge him on continually, which Toto, likewise attaining in time to equality with the finest intellects, departed from Florence and made his way with some Florentine merchants to England, where he executed all his works and was very richly rewarded by the king of that country, whom he also served in architecture, erecting in particular his principal palace, he and Perino, then, working in emulation of one another and pursuing the studies of art with supreme diligence, after no long time became very excellent. And Perino, drawing from the cartoon of Michelagnolo Bornerati in company with other young men, both Florentines and strangers, won and held the first place among them all, insomuch that he was regarded with that expectation which was afterwards fulfilled in the beautiful works that he executed with so much excellence and art. There came to Florence at that time the Florentine painter Vaga, a master of no great excellence, who was executing commonplace works at Toscanella in the province of Rome. Having a superabundance of work, he was in need of assistance, and he desired to take back with him a companion and also a young man who might help him in design in which he was wanting and in the other matters of art. Now this painter, having seen Perino drawing in the workshop of Rodolfo together with the other young men, found him so superior to them all that he was astonished, and, what is more, he was pleased with his appearance and his ways. For Perino was a beautiful youth, most courteous, modest, and gentle, and every part of his body was in keeping with the nobility of his mind. Wherefore Vaga was so charmed with him that he asked him whether he would go with him to Rome, saying that he would not fail to assist him in his studies, and promising him such benefits and conditions as he might demand. So great was the desire that Perino had to attain to excellence in his profession that, when he heard Rome mentioned, through his eagerness to see that city, he was deeply moved. But he told him that he must speak to Andrea de Cherry, who had supported him up to that time, so that he was loath to abandon him. And so Vaga, having persuaded Rodolfo, Perino's master, and Andrea, who maintained him, so contrived that in the end he took Perino with the companion to Toscanella. There Perino began to work and to assist them, and they finished not only the work that Vaga had undertaken, but also many that they undertook afterwards. But Perino complained that the promise of seeing Rome, by which he had been brought from Florence, was not being fulfilled, in consequence of the profit and advantage that Vaga was drawing from his services, 
and he resolved to go thither by himself, which was the reason that Vaga, leaving all his works, took him to Rome. And there, through the love that he bore to art, Perino returned to his former work of drawing, and continued at it many weeks, growing more ardent every day. But Vaga wished to return to Toscanella, and therefore made him known, as one belonging to himself, to many commonplace painters, and also recommended him to all the friends that he had there, to the end that they might assist and favor him in his absence, from which circumstance he was always called from that day onward Perino del Vaga. Thus, left in Rome and seeing the ancient works of sculpture and the marvelous masses of buildings reduced for the most part to ruins, Perino stood lost in admiration at the greatness of the many renowned and illustrious men who had executed those works. And so, becoming ever more and more aflame with love of art, he burned unceasingly to attain to a height not too far distant from those masters, in order to win fame and profit for himself with his works, even as had been done by those at whom he marveled as he beheld their beautiful creations. And while he contemplated their greatness and the depths of his own lowliness and poverty, reflecting that he possessed nothing save the desire to rise to their height, and that having no one who might maintain him and provide him with the means to live, he was forced, if he wished to remain alive, to labor at work for those ordinary shops, now with one painter and now with another, after the manner of the day laborers in the fields, a mode of life which so hindered his studies, he felt infinite grief and pain in his heart at not being able to make as soon as he would have liked that proficience to which his mind, his will, and his necessities were urging him. He made the resolve, therefore, to divide his time equally, working half the week at daywork and during the other half devoting his attention to design, and to this second half he added all the feast days, together with a great part of the nights, thus stealing time from time itself, in order to become famous and to escape from the hands of others so far as it might be possible. Having carried this intention into execution, he began to draw in the chapel of Pope Julius, where the vaulting had been painted by Michelagnolo Bonarotti, following both his methods and the manner of Raffaello d'Orbino, and then going on to the ancient works in marble, and also to the grotesques in the grottoes under the ground, which pleased him through their novelty. He learned the methods of working in stucco, gaining his bread meanwhile by grievous labor, and enduring every hardship in order to become excellent in his profession. Nor had any long time passed before he became the best and most finished draughtsman that there was among all who were drawing in Rome, for the reason that he had, perhaps, a better knowledge of muscles and of the difficult art of depicting the nude than many others who were held to be among the best masters at that time. Which was the reason that he became known not only to the men of his profession, but also to many lords and prelates, and in particular Giulio Romano and Giovan Francesco, called Il Fator, disciples of Raffaello de Urbino, having praised him not a little to their master, roused in him a desire to know Perino, and to see his works in drawing, which having pleased him, and together with his work, his manner, his spirit, and his ways of life, he declared that among all the young men that he had known, Perino would attain to the highest perfection in that art. Meanwhile, Raffaello de Urbino had built the papal loggi by the command of Leo X, and the same pope ordered that Raffaello should also have them adorned with stucco, painted and gilded, according as it should seem best to him. Thereupon, Raffaello placed at the head of that enterprise, for the stucco work and the grotesques, Giovanni da Dean, who was very excellent and without an equal in such works, but mostly in executing animals, fruits, and other little things. And since he had chosen in Rome and summoned from other parts a great number of masters, he had assembled together a company of men, each very able at his own work one in stucco, 
another in grotesques, a third in foliage, a fourth in festoons, another in scenes, and others in other things, and according as they improved they were brought forward and paid higher salaries, so that by competing in that work many young men attained to great perfection, who were afterwards held to be excellent in their various fields of art. Among that company, Perino was assigned to Giovanni Deodin by Raffaello, to the end that he might execute grotesques and scenes together with the others, and he was told that according as he should acquit himself, so he would be employed by Giovanni. And thus, laboring out of emulation and in order to prove his powers and make proficience, before many months had passed Perino was held to be the first among all those who were working there, both in drawing and in coloring. The best, I say, the most perfect in grace and finish, and he who could execute both figures and grotesques in the most delicate and beautiful manner, to which clear testimony and witness are borne by the grotesques, festoons, and scenes by his hand that are in that work, which, besides surpassing the others, are executed in much more faithful accord with the designs and sketches that Raffaello made for them. This may be seen from a part of those scenes in the center of the loggia on the vaulting, where the Hebrews are depicted crossing over the Jordan with a sacred ark and also marching round the walls of Jericho, which fall into ruin, and the other scenes that follow, such as that of Joshua causing the sun to stand still during the combat with the Amorites. Among those painted in imitation of bronze on the base, the best are likewise those by the hand of Perino, namely Abraham sacrificing his son, Jacob wrestling with the angel, Joseph receiving his twelve brethren, the fire descending from heaven and consuming the sons of Levi, and many others which there is no need to name, for their number is very great, and they can be distinguished from the rest. At the beginning of the loggia also, where one enters, he painted scenes from the New Testament, the Nativity, and the Baptism of Christ, and his Last Supper with the Apostles, which are very beautiful, besides which, below the windows, as has been said, are the best scenes painted in the color of bronze that there are in the whole work. These labors cause every man to marvel, both the paintings and the many works in stucco that he executed there with his own hand and his coloring, moreover, is much more pleasing and more highly finished than that of any of the others. This work was the reason that he became famous beyond all belief. Yet this great praise did not send him to sleep, but rather, since genius grows with praise, inspired him with even more zeal, and made him almost certain that by persisting he would come to win those fruits and honors that he saw every day in the possession of Raffaello Nerbino and Michelagnolo Bonarotti, and he labored all the more willingly because he saw that he was held in estimation by Giovanni Dodin and by Raffaello, and was employed in works of importance. He always showed extraordinary deference and obedience towards Raffaello, honoring him in such a manner that he was beloved by Raffaello as a son. There was executed at this time, by order of Pope Leo, the vaulting of the Hall of the Pontiffs, which is that through which one passes by way of the loggi into the apartments of Pope Alexander the Sixth, formerly painted by Pintoricchio, and that vaulting was painted by Giovanni Dodin and Perino. They executed in company the stucco work and all those ornaments, grotesques, and animals that are to be seen there. In addition to the varied and beautiful inventions that were depicted by them in the compartments of the ceiling, which they had divided into certain circles and ovals to contain the seven planets of heaven, drawn by their appropriate animals, such as Jupiter drawn by eagles, Venus by doves, the moon by women, Mars by wolves, Mercury by cocks, the sun by horses, and Saturn by serpents, besides the twelve signs of the zodiac, and some figures from the forty-eight constellations of heaven, such as the great bear, the dog star, and many others, which, by reason of their number, we must pass over in silence, without recounting them all in their order, since anyone may see the work. 
which figures are almost all by the hand of Perino. In the center of the vaulting is a circle with four figures representing victories, seen foreshortened from below upwards, who are holding the Pope's crown and the keys. And these are very well conceived and wrought with masterly art, to say nothing of the delicacy with which he painted their vestments, veiling the nude with certain light draperies that partly reveal the naked legs and arms, a truly graceful and beautiful effect. This work was justly held, as it still is at the present day, to be very magnificent and rich in craftsmanship, and also cheerful and pleasing, worthy, in short, of that pontiff who did not fail to reward their labors, which truly deserved some signal remuneration. Perino decorated a facade in chiaroscuro, a method brought into use at that time by the example of Polidoro and Maturino, which is opposite to the house of the Marchioness of Massa near Maestro Paschino, executing it with great boldness of design and with supreme diligence. In the third year of his pontificate, Pope Leo paid a visit to Florence, for which many triumphal preparations were made in that city, and Perino went thither before the court, partly in order to see the pomps of the city, and partly from a wish to revisit his native country. And on a triumphal arch at San Trinita, he made a large and very beautiful figure, seven braccia high, while another was executed in competition with him by Toto d'Annunziata, who had already been his rival in boyhood. But to Perino every hour seemed a thousand years until he could return to Rome, for he perceived that the rules and methods of the Florentine craftsmen were very different from those that were customary in Rome. Wherefore he departed from Florence and returned to Rome, where he resumed his usual course of work. And in Sant'Eustachio della Dagana he painted a St. Peter in fresco, which is a figure that has very strong relief, executed with a simple flow of folds, and yet wrought with much design and judgment. There was in Rome at this time the Archbishop of Cyprus, a man who was a great lover of the arts, and particularly of painting. And he, having a house near the Chiavica, where he had laid out a little garden with some statues and other antiquities of truly noble beauty, and desiring to enhance their effect with some fine decorations, sent for Perino, who was very much his friend, and they came to the decision that he should paint round the walls of that garden many stories of the Bacantes, satyrs, fauns, and other wild things in reference to an ancient statue of Bacchus seated beside a tiger, which the archbishop had there. And so Perino adorned that place with a variety of poetical fancies, and, among things, he painted there a little loggia with small figures, various grotesques, and many landscapes, colored with supreme grace and diligence. This work has been held by craftsmen, as it always will be, to be worthy of the highest praise, and it was the reason that he became known to the Fugger family, merchants of Germany, who, having built a house near the Banchi on the way to the church of the Florentines, and having seen Perino's work and liked it, caused him to paint there a courtyard and a loggia with many figures, all worthy of the same praise as the other works by his hand, for in them may be seen much delicacy and grace and great beauty of manner. At the same time, M. Marchione Baldassini, having caused a house to be built for him near San Agostino, as has been related by Antonio de Sangallo, who designed it very well, desired that a hall which Antonio had constructed there should be painted all over. And after passing in review many of the young painters, to the end that it might be well and beautifully done, he finally resolved to give it to Perino. Having agreed about the price, Perino set his hand to it, nor did he turn his attention from that work to any other until he had brought it to a very happy conclusion in fresco. In that hall he had made compartments by means of pilasters, which have between them niches great and small. In the larger niches are various figures of philosophers, two in each niche, 
and in some one only and in the smaller niches are little boys partly naked and partly draped in veiling while above those small niches are some heads of women painted in imitation of marble above the cornice that crowns the pilasters there follows a second series of pictures separated from the first series below with scenes and figures of no great size from the history of the romans beginning with romulus and ending with numa pompilius there are likewise various ornaments in imitation of different kinds of marble and over the beautiful chimney-piece of stone is a figure of peace burning arms and trophies which is very lifelike this work was held in much estimation during the lifetime of m marchion as it has been ever since by all those who work in painting and also by many others not of the profession who give it extraordinary praise in the convent of the nuns of santa anna perino painted a chapel in fresco with many figures which was executed by him with his usual diligence and on the altar in santo stefano del caco he painted in fresco for a roman lady a pieta with the dead christ in the lap of our lady with a portrait from life of that lady which still has the appearance of a living figure and the whole work is very beautiful and executed with great mastery and facility and he setting his hand to the work painted there a christ in the act of crowning the madonna and in the background he made a glory with a choir of seraphim and angels clothed in light and delicate draperies who are scattering flowers and other children of great beauty and variety and on the sides of the tabernacle he painted saints san sebastian on one side and santo anthony on the other this work was executed truly well and was equal to the others by his hand which were always full of grace and charm a certain protonotary had erected a chapel of marble on four columns in the minerva and desiring to leave an altarpiece there in memory of himself even if it were but a small one he came to an agreement with perino whose fame he had heard and commissioned him to paint it in oils and he chose that the subject should be the deposition of christ from the cross which perino set himself to execute with the greatest possible zeal and diligence in this picture he represented him as already laid upon the ground surrounded by the maries weeping over him in whose gestures and attitudes he portrayed a melting pity and sorrow besides which there are nicodemuses and other figures that are much admired all woeful and afflicted at seeing the sinless christ lying dead but the figures that he painted most divinely were those of the two thieves left fixed upon the crosses which besides appearing to be real dead bodies reveal a very good mastery over muscles and nerves which this occasion enabled him to display wherefore to the eyes of him who beholds them their limbs present themselves all drawn in that violent death by the nerves and the muscles by the nails and cords there is in addition a landscape wrapped in darkness counterfeited with much judgment and art and if the inundation which came upon rome after the sack had not done damage to this work covering more than half of it its excellence would be clearly seen but the water so softened the gesso and caused the wood to swell in such sort that all the lower part that was soaked has peeled off too much for the picture to give any pleasure nay it is a grief and a truly heart-rending sorrow to behold it for it would certainly have been one of the most precious things in all rome there was being rebuilt at this time under the direction of jacopo sansovino the church of san marcello in rome a convent of servite friars which still remains unfinished and when they had carried the walls of some chapels to completion and had roofed them those friars commissioned perino to paint in one of these as ornaments for a madonna that is worshipped in that church two figures in separate niches san joseph and san filippo a servite friar and the founder of that order one on either side of the madonna these finished he painted above them some little boys that are perfect 
and in the centre of the wall he placed another standing upon a dado, which has upon his shoulders the ends of two festoons, which he directs towards the corners of the chapel, where there are two other little boys who support them, being seated upon them with their legs in most beautiful attitudes. All this he executed with such art, such grace, and so beautiful a manner, and gave to the flesh a tint of colour so fresh and so soft, that one might say that it was real flesh rather than painted. And certainly these figures may be held to be the most beautiful that ever any craftsman painted in fresco, for the reason that there is life in their eyes and movement in their attitudes, and with the mouth they make as if to break into speech and say that art has conquered nature, and that even art declares that nothing more than this can be done in her. This work was so excellent in the sight of all good judges of art that he acquired a great name thereby. Although he had executed many works and what was known of his great genius in his profession was well known, and he was therefore held in much more account and greater estimation than ever before. For this reason, Lorenzo Pucci, Cardinal Santiquattro, who had taken over a chapel on the left hand beside the principal chapel in the Trinità, a convent of Calabrian and French friars, who were the habit of San Francis of Paola, allotted it to Perino, to the end that he might paint there in fresco the life of Our Lady. Which having begun, Perino finished all the vaulting and a wall under an arch, and on the outer side also, over an arch of the chapel, he painted two prophets, four braccia and a half in height, representing Isaiah and Daniel, who in their great proportions reveal all the art, excellence of design, and beauty of coloring that can be seen in their perfection only in a picture executed by a great craftsman. This will be clearly evident to one who shall consider the Isaiah, in whom, as he reads, may be perceived the thoughtfulness that study infuses in him, and his eagerness in reading new things, for he has his gaze fixed upon a book, with one hand to his head, exactly as a man often is when he is studying. And Daniel, likewise, is motionless, with his head upraised in celestial contemplation, in order to resolve the doubts of his people. Between these figures are two little boys who are upholding the escutcheon of the cardinal, a shield of beautiful shape. And these boys, besides being so painted as to seem to be of flesh, also have the appearance of being in relief. The vaulting is divided into four scenes, separated one from another by the cross, that is, by the ribs of the vaulting. In the first is the conception of Our Lady. In the second, her nativity. In the third, the scene when she ascends the steps of the temple. And in the fourth, San Joseph marrying her. On a wall space equal in extent to the arch of the vaulting is her visitation, in which are many figures that are very beautiful, but above all, some who have climbed on certain soclis and are standing in very spirited and natural attitudes, the better to see the ceremonious meeting of those women. Besides which, there is something of the good and of the beautiful in the buildings and in every gesture of other figures. He pursued this work no further, illness coming upon him, and when he was well, there began the plague of the year 1523 which raged so violently in Rome that, if he wished to save his life, it became expedient for him to make up his mind to depart. End of section 17